This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. There's no success without failure. And if you were to go through any kind of a life challenge, if it went smoothly, then you don't really learn that very much from it. But it's sort of struggle with it and it's quite challenging, then you're going to learn something from it. And so instead of looking at failure as the end of something, we can see it as the beginning of a new life lesson. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll discuss how to boost your energy levels. We'll learn how to cook without a recipe. We'll find out how to turn failures into learning experiences. And lastly, we'll explore how to safely socialize during COVID-19. But first, a little bit of business. Omega Alpha is 100% Canadian owned and has been GMP certified for manufacturing to pharmaceutical standards since its inception in 1992. It uses only all natural herbs, vitamins, and minerals in their formulations. The company is site licensed for manufacturing nutraceuticals by the Natural Health Products Directorate, a division of Health Canada. They have four company divisions, both a consumer line and professional line of human products, equine pet health products, and a custom manufacturing private label division. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit their website at omegaalphainc.com. Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry, looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over 20 peer-reviewed articles and conference proceedings. Welcome back to the show, Gordon. How are you? Good, Jamie. Thanks for having me and Happy New Year. To you as well. So how are you feeling today? Is your energy up? Energy is up as always. You know, and I always, one of the things I say to people sometimes, energy is a frame of mind. It is. It's interesting about that, you know, like if you're feeling down and out, nothing physical, but you know, your energy is down. And whenever your energy is down, even if you wanted to do things, it's the motivation. I agree. And, you know, I think it's, you know, obviously, you know, we, we've been talking about COVID for so very long, but, you know, now that it's not a, you know, it, it never was a sprint, but now that we're truly in this marathon and we appear to be in the last, you know, we, we've hit that wall, there's maybe six miles left in the race. I think making sure that you have adequate energy is probably more important now than maybe it was five, six, seven, eight, nine months ago. For sure. One of the things that, you know, when I talk about energy, I say to people, it's a combination of both the mental mm-hmm. as well as the physical aspects. Yeah. And I know a lot of people look for the magic pill where you take one pill and you voila, you have energy for days, right? Yeah. And usually that's not a good way to go. It has to be a balanced approach. I always talk about balanced approach to all things that where health is concerned. Yep. Right? I agree. And that's why we love having you on the show. So I know where we're going to start. Just because, you know, we've done enough of these. When we're talking about energy, an important subset of the nutraceuticals are adaptogenic herbs. That's right. Now, the reason people call them adaptogenic is because they seem to fight the effects of stress. Now, 
when you're fighting the effects of stress, it is it's not like a magic thing where we say, okay, I'm going to give this to you and it'll just give you instant energy. It's not like putting high-octane gas in your tank because, you know, if, if you ever got into some of those type of things, there's always a payback at the other end, right? Mm-hmm. What some of these adaptogenic herbs do, some of them simply, for example, you sleep better at night when you take some of these adaptogenic herbs. And, you know, just the fact that you can sleep better at night gives you more energy the next morning, right? Mm-hmm. Some of them do have the effects of giving you that extra zip to get up and go, right? And, you know, one of the things that people normally won't think of this as an energy herb, but caffeine is an energy substance. So like your morning cup of coffee, right? Oh, yeah. It gives you that zip to get up and go. Right, but we all know if you drink too much caffeine, you're wired for the day. Yep. Right, and you know it's not what I call useful energy. So you've got to take just the right amount. Right, and and obviously something like caffeine is going to impact your ability to get rest, which then sort of in, in, right. in so, the cycle will impact your energy levels. That's right. If you take yeah. too much, you can't sleep. If you can't sleep, you wake up feeling tired. You've got to take more, and then you know, so it's a vicious cycle. This is why when when we're talking about energy herbs, one. One of the things I usually stress to people is take a wide variety of them. Of course. Right? Just, mm-hmm. just because you, you know one, that's not the only one you should be taking. Right? If you take a wide variety, the pluses on taking a wide variety is that they all work differently. That's one. Secondly, because they work differently, they use different biochemical pathways. And because they use different biochemical pathways, you get more of what I call the synergistic effect, meaning that you sleep a little bit better at night, so you wake up in the morning feeling a little bit more refreshed, right? Some of them will give you that extra energy like caffeine. So it gives you that little, but you're not over, your system is not being overpowered by the caffeine, right? Right. So there's some herbs that fall in that do these things really well. So things like ginseng, right? right? Mm -hmm. Siberian ginseng, ashwagandha, right? All those herbs do that. Then you have the ones that call astragalus, right? These are some well-known herbs that most people will think about. But, you know, what I find when I say most people think about, they don't think about it until somebody tells them about it, right? right. But then if they think back, they say, oh, yeah, I know this, I know this, I know this, right? But mm-hmm. they never even they, they don't think about that, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, some of these things, they're like, one of the things that they do is that they boost your immune system. Right. So if the immune system is also better, that means you may not be that easy to get sick. So you have stuff floating around. You might still get ill, but it's tougher to get ill. Let's put it that way. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say we have the magic bullet that will stop all illnesses in the world. Right. Exercise is another thing that we usually talk about. And people say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know about exercise. But the problem with that is everybody knows, but nobody wants to. A lot of people will not get off their behind to do some exercise. And I think a lot of the times it's not, not that they don't want to do it. It's to start it. Right. And sometimes they think. You know, the exercise I get, I need to get that type of exercise when I'm, you know, being exhausted at the end of it all. You don't have to get something like that. Something as simple as a walk. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And people want to start in the extreme as opposed to little starts. You know, the, the, the old Chinese adage just says, journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is so important that people don't realize is because it's a lifestyle. If you start walking, today you may walk a block. Tomorrow you may walk two blocks. Pretty soon you're walking a mile, right? And that's how you build it. And then it becomes a lifestyle thing. I tell people the biggest bump in health benefits regarding exercise comes from doing nothing to doing something. 
That's right. You know, as you increase it, you get diminishing returns and that's just a sad fact and your body, you know, comes to rely on it. But literally for those who are doing nothing and are listening to this show, you're in the catbird seat because as soon as you do something, you're going to see the biggest bump in, in your health. Yes. One of the things that people don't realize also is that if you're exercising and your body's burning more nutrients, right? So you have to make sure that your intake of nutrients is also there. Yes. So something as simple as B vitamins is right. very important. Right now, there's like about four or five different B vitamins, and they're all known as energy vitamins. The reason they're known as energy vitamins is because in the biochemistry in the body, at different pathways in the process of manufacturing something called ATP, right? A lot of these B vitamins are important to be there in order to generate ATP. ATP is adenosine triphosphate, which is the, I guess, what I call it, the dollar bills of the energy world. Right. right? Yeah. It's everywhere. Anything that requires energy in the body is mediated through ATP. Right. That's one of the media. There's some other compounds that do it, but ATP is the main molecule that we think about. Right. But in order to generate that, there's a whole bunch of different things you need. Mm-hmm. Right. Even something as simple as trace minerals, you know, things like manganese, even magnesium, selenium, zinc, copper, all those are necessary in a lot of different biochemical pathways. And one of the things that when people think thinking about energy, too, is, again, the concept of give me this and that's it. I don't need to think about anything else is so wrong, right? They have to look after their overall health, etc., and take a wide variety of things. But if you start, if you eat well, you exercise, and you make sure you get a wide variety of nutrients, right? You know, and every so often, you may need those energy-giving herbs. Like, sometimes, in spite of it all, you know, you're eating well, etc., you still don't have the energy. And that's because there's other things going on in your life. Right. right. So, yep. you know, something as, you know, mental fatigue is one of those things you've got to fight. Right. And, you know, feeling of well-being. Now, I, I won't go down the road of mental well-being because, you know what, I know some of the things, but it's not really my area of expertise. But I do recognize that you have to have a good mental outlook on whatever you're doing in order to be energetic also. You know, and even that's, you know, part of the symbiosis, right? Because if you're feeling if you have more energy, you're probably better able to cope with some of the issues that may be preying on your mind. I'm not saying it's a cure, but I'm just saying if you had a good night's sleep, if you're exercising, if you're eating well, you're at least putting yourself in a better position to deal and cope with some of the other issues that you may be dealing with. For sure. One of the things I just also want to point out, because I know a lot of people always ask me, you know, are these things safe? Yep. Right. And I usually say, you know what, a lot of the herbs that I talk about, they usually use as food. So meaning that you can sit down and have quite a bit of this as food. And in all fairness, because they're used as food, if you want to sit down and eat a kilogram of, say, ginseng, for example, that is not going to happen. You, you literally can't get that much into you, right? Yeah. Uh, but for the sake of argument, let's say you were able to take it, right? You know, because it has such a long history of use, it's not as though they discovered it yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, such a large quantity, sometimes, you know, you may end up with diarrhea or something like that. Right. Yeah. But that's the, the safety margins on some of these things are huge. Now, I won't advocate taking B vitamins by the kilo either. Right. right? But yep. you've got to be reasonable in your approach to some of these things. But usually the recommended doses, whatever it is, you can go above the recommended doses by two or three times, right, for a, re- a short period of time with no major ill effects other than maybe if it doesn't agree with you, you'll get diarrhea or something like that. But 
you know, you listen to your body. If you're taking something and you have a reaction, like you get diarrhea or you break out into a rash, stop taking it. Right. You know, and this is what I call the common sense approach to health. A lot of people don't want to take a common sense approach because they hear, well, something is good, so if it's good, I'm going to take a lot of it. You mentioned vitamin B. So do you advocate sort of taking the individual vitamins like B1, B2, B3, 5, 6, 9, like separately, or do you recommend taking the complex? I recommend taking the complex. And there's specific reasons why you want to take the single ones because there are different issues that people have. For example, I I know if you have people who have diabetes and they have diabetic neuro right? One of the things that have shown to be quite effective and useful is vitamin B1 in fairly high doses. And when I say fairly high doses, I'm looking about three to 400 milligrams. Right. That's been documented. That's not coming out of my mouth and not blowing smoke out in thin air, right? right. It's been documented. And so people, if you want to treat, be treating something like diabetic neuropathies, you've got to be taking higher doses. Higher doses, you mean, than than what you would get in a complex, right? That's right. You'll never find that kind of dose in a complex, okay? But if you are generally healthy and you're looking at health and well-being, a B-complex is good. And the key with any of these type of supplementation is that I will tell everybody, day in, day out, day in, day If you're taking it on a regular basis, right, your body will have it. And if your body has it, it will utilize it. Okay. And do you recommend, like, is there anybody who shouldn't be taking B-complex or is it good for everybody? It's usually good for everybody. But, you know, I I will always say this. There's probably always one person, no matter what you do, there's always one person who will make a liar out of me when I say (laughs) that. Because, for example, I talk about things like soybean. Right. I talk about foods like rice. There's always somebody who will take rice and get an allergic reaction. Right. Because there's so many people, there's always someone who will, right? And they'll say, yeah. oh, I heard that Dr. Chang say that this thing is completely safe. Well, you know, it's completely safe within reason, right? right. Yeah, and it's the exception that proves the rule, uh, and right? Yeah, and there's always one person, as I always say, there's always one person who's going to make me into a liar because right. of that. Yeah. So are you concerned at all when you see B-complex supplements out there? Like, is there any particular dosages that we should be looking at? Are they all capable of giving you what you need? They're all capable, but you have to look at what you're getting at. There are some of them that will give you, say, five milligrams. If you're young and you're healthy, five milligrams is sufficient, like, for say, for B1, right? Mm -hmm. But then when you're getting older, like approaching my age, right, you need higher doses, Right, and there are some people who who don't eat as much, um, for example, grain, right? Because grain is one of the natural sources of B one, for example, right? Mm-hmm. And I say, if you don't eat a lot of grain, you're probably not getting as much B one as you think you should be getting, right? Or B twelve is another one, mm-hmm. right? Vitamin B twelve is one of those things that you can only get it from meat. So if you are a vegetarian, right, you're not getting B twelve. Yeah. So it's a good idea to supplement your diet with B12 from a supplement source, right? We never really discussed it, but I guess, you know, like if you, if you have dietary issues, right? Like if you're celiac or, you know, you've decided to become a vegetarian or principled or whatever, for whatever reason, if you're cutting certain food sources out of your diet, you maybe should consult with somebody to see if there's any vitamin deficiencies. You know, like, like for example, with meat, you know, iron would be one. Like if you didn't have red meat, you, you, might, right. you, you might want to consider supplementing with iron, right? That's right. But a lot of people I, I know, if you use cast iron cooking utensils, for example, right. 
you get enough iron just from using cast iron cooking utensils. Right? Didn't that guy right. invent the iron fish that yeah. if you put it, that if you put it in your water for your tea, you get enough iron? Is, is that's it? right? And they were, you put it in your stews. Eventually, you get enough iron coming through. Right? And the key to the the, the thing with the cast iron fish is day in, day out, day in, day out. Right? So you're not getting a huge bolus dose, but you're getting some every day. Right, and then if you're getting some every day, and the body sees that it's in short supply, it learns to conserve it, that particular nutrient. Right, and the body has a certain wisdom of learning to accumulate and to control. Right, yeah. so this is why people who take high doses of vitamin C, the body says, "Oh, we're getting a lot of vitamin C," so it doesn't conserve it, so it just pumps it out as, as if there's no tomorrow because it's expecting a lot. However, the day you decide to stop, if you're taking high doses of vitamin C, and the day you decide to stop, you may get something called rebound scurvy because all of a sudden the body's expecting a lot of vitamin C coming in, but then you get nothing, and it hasn't learned to tone down the, the excretion of vitamin C yet. Right. But eventually it will when you don't get it. That's why I always say, if you're taking high doses of anything, taper, right? Don't quit cold turkey. Fantastic advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thanks for having me on. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss cooking without a recipe on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural Liquid Greens. You're a genuine health enthusiast listening to this show today. And Activation Products is your dream come true when it comes to living a very long, pain-free, energized life. Your body's craving heirloom nano and micronutrients that you'll use to elevate your whole body's health in ways you had no idea were possible. Activation makes all this possible no matter how old or young you are. The precious time, energy, and money you invest to be healthy is taken very seriously by Activation. It's their responsibility to deliver to you the most efficacious health products available in the world today. People consistently report back the most beautiful health results when they daily consume products from Activation. Treat yourself now and find out what it's like to live in a luxurious body, making every day a joy to be alive. Go to activationproducts.com and subscribe for the most important health information and products. Or call 1-866-271-7595. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. In addition to being a lawyer, my next guest has been writing for Tonic Magazine for over six years. And since 2015, she's written the very popular cookbook review column, My Wife Naomi. Hey, sweetheart. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. You're coming into my world today. (laughs) Right. Right. We get you on the show and you talk about this recipe (laughs) and that recipe. We're not doing that today, are we? I know. And it makes me very anxious but it's for the greater good. All right. Today, we're going to talk about cooking without a recipe, right? Yes. And by cooking without a recipe, we're taking sort of a broad interpretation. So this could be like starting with no recipe, just stuff that you want to cook with, or it could be taking something that you know or a recipe that you use and changing it to suit yourself. Okay. Because at the end of the day, you believe everybody should be working from a recipe, but why would somebody in their right mind forego a recipe? Share that with us. Well, 
so that you like it. You know, there's a lot of recipes, for example, that have cilantro. I hate cilantro. I'm not going to use it. So I will avoid a recipe that has cilantro, but I could also just not use the cilantro or change it. Or I could be vegetarian and the recipe calls for chicken, but I want to substitute something else. So, you know, make it suit yourself. Mm -hmm. Also, and and this is important right now, is use what you have in the house so that you're not wasting something that you bought and thought you wanted to use but haven't yet used, or you just can't get to the supermarket. You can't face the lines. It's not accessible to you. You know, you're you're not going shopping. So you just use what you have, and that's really important. Another thing, a couple of things that are related is that, you know, cooking is a skill, and you will get better if you learn to use your instincts. It's, you know, it's an art and a science, yep. but to expand on the art part of it, you know, and play around with the science too. See what works and what doesn't, and it will be, make it more interesting and fun for you. It'll expand your creativity. It's an outlet, especially when a time when people are looking for creative outlets, like, do it. Yeah. Try it. You'll yeah. get better. I mean, I would add, is there really such a thing as cooking without a recipe? Without sort of having any plan or clue? No. I mean, you have to have an idea in mind what it is you're going to cook. And you probably have some baseline skills or it's probably not going to go that well. Or your expectations are low. So maybe you don't really care if it's a work of art or perfection. You're just hungry and, you know, you, have a, you don't have that much time. So you're just going to whip something together. Maybe. I don't know. So you've explained why you might not want to use a recipe, but, you know, let, I'm going to throw you a bone here. Why would you use a recipe? Well, you might be trying to do, as, as you suggested to me, you might be trying to make beef wellington. So making beef wellington without a recipe or trying to recreate something that is a classic technique-driven dish, you should probably use a recipe for that if you want it to be good, unless you don't care, you know. but. Yeah. Baking is another one where it's about chemistry, and unless you're an experienced baker, you know, you should probably have some idea about whether you use baking powder or baking soda or how much flour versus butter, etc. So baking is an area that you might start with a recipe. Another thing, if you don't know how to cook, it's overwhelming. Like when you were just describing just starting with nothing and deciding to put some ingredients together, that would be hard for a lot of people. It would be hard for me. I need to start somewhere with something. So you can learn some fundamental techniques, and there are some great cookbooks that I've talked about before, what we have been calling building blocks cookbooks that'll teach you the fundamental techniques that you can use and then go create your own things. But, you know, you need to know something. Otherwise, it's hard to start. You can get overwhelmed. Yeah. And and I would add, you know, like when you think of people who don't cook with recipes, you know, maybe it's your grandma, your nana or whatever. It's because they have years of experience making whatever it is they're making. So like, you know, they don't have it written out, but I'm sure the procedure and how they make it is all in their brains, right? Exactly. Like they are using a recipe. It's just not written down. You know, they know what it should feel like or look like or smell like. And another interesting point, because I I recently read an article which said, you know, why you should follow recipes to the letter, which, by the way, I, you know, I never do because I often tweak or change things because I can't help myself. But this person was saying, you know, the recipe, the writer took great care in creating the recipe and articulating, communicating their vision to you. And out of respect for the writer and their vision, you should try to make it the way they told you to make it. And particularly if it's a recipe you're trying to recreate something that is authentic or from another cuisine, you know, it won't be authentic if you decide to, let's say, remove the cilantro, because cilantro is really important. So that's an interesting perspective, 
which may not impact on you, practically speaking, when you just want to make dinner, but I thought it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that were true if every recipe I came across was equally well-written and, you know, I held the same regard for the person who's putting Mm -hmm. it forward. But not all recipes are created equal, however. So assuming you are interested in cooking without a recipe, where would you start? Well, first of all, you need to have some basics in your pantry because I think it... It sort of defeats the purpose of cooking without a recipe if you have to go shopping for all your ingredients to cook without your recipe because then you've already thought about what to make. So if you've got the pantry and freezer stocked with some basics like onion, garlic, stock, pasta, rice, tomatoes, beans maybe, olive oil, and, you know, meat in your freezer, frozen vegetables, condiments, you'll be well-equipped to just throw something together, you know, or to Google and jump off with your recipe, depending on how you feel that particular day. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. Another thing, and I mentioned this before with the building block cookbooks, is if you're a new cook, you know, learn some fundamentals so that you don't want to serve raw chicken. You don't want to wing it and then serve raw chicken. So learn how long it might take for chicken to cook. Learn how to chop vegetables and sweat them, you know, because they're the base of a lot of different recipes. So knowing some of those fundamentals will allow you to sort of then use them, you know, leave them behind and make up your own stuff. And the other thing is, and, and you do this, and I, I've done this too, is think about what you like and maybe you want to try to recreate something that you ate at somebody's house or at a restaurant. You know, not make it so chefy, but to recreate those flavors and just play around a bit. And that's a fun thing to try to do. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some tangible examples of the types of food that people might try to make, presuming they had some baseline skills, where you can freestyle it a bit. Yeah, so my first suggestion is soup. And I love to eat soup because I would eat soup all year round, but particularly in the winter, it's a great thing to make for lunch or dinner. It's a great no recipe dish. You you start with an onion or leek if you want, garlic, celery, carrot, you know, one of each, let's say. Cook for a few minutes on medium heat with some salt and pepper. You know, all soups start like that. You add some liquid, you know, beans if you want to add them, tomatoes if you want them, vegetables if you want them. You cook and simmer for about 20-30 minutes until the vegetables are tender. There's your soup. You can add some cooked pasta. You could add some milk or cream or cheese. You could add, you know, as I said, chickpeas or beans to the soup. You could take the same basic soup and make it Mediterranean flavors by adding some cumin and coriander and lemon zatar seasoning. You could make it Italian by adding some basil and oregano or rosemary. You can make an Asian-flavored soup you know, by adding ginger and garlic or Indian. You know, there's a lot you can do with that soup, depending on what you like and, you know, what you feel like eating. You can make it spicy or not spicy. You can make it smooth or not smooth. So you don't really need anything. And if it tastes good, great. If it tastes bland, add salt or spice, more of the spice. And then there you go. There's your soup. Yeah, soups are pretty forgiving. You don't have to cook it in the minute. You don't have to worry. About, like, I suppose there are things that if you put in, you could overcook them, like a legume. Like, if you didn't like your food to be mushy, you'd kind of have to monitor where your vegetables and, and legumes are in the soup. But, you know, there's a huge window of opportunity to fix things with a soup, which which makes it a perfect candidate for winging it, I think. I agree with you. 
Exactly. And if you overcook your vegetables, then puree the soup. Right. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, I would say the thing that I've learned when I wing it, and I pretty much wing it every single day, is you constantly have to taste what you're cooking, mm-hmm. right? Because at the end of the day, you're going to be eating it. And, you know, if you make a mistake, you know, you can Google how to fix it. You know, too much salt. What do you do? Not flavorful enough. What do you do? But I think with experience, you'll start to recognize how to make little tweaks as long as you are tasting as long as you go along. All right. So what's number two? Pasta, so which we have all the time. Yeah. You know, you can make a tomato sauce with a can of good tomatoes, olive oil, and onion or garlic. That's it. You could use olive oil and garlic and add some sautéed asparagus or any other green vegetable or vegetable that you have around. could be frozen. You know, that's fine. And then you make a sauce with pasta water. You know, you use the olive oil and garlic that you started with, and you, know, you add some cooked pasta water and you pour the pasta in with the vegetables and the oil, toss it together, add some cheese, and there you go. You could start with, instead of just onion or a tomato sauce, you could start with some bacon or pancetta or sausage if you like that. You could make a pesto, which is an easy thing to make with no recipe. You know, you add some stuff and you taste it. A basil or arugula or kale, garlic, olive oil, cheese, and salt and pepper. There's your pesto. Toss that with pasta. You could add, you know, chickpeas. Any of these sauces are very forgiving. Toss them with some cooked pasta, add the vegetables or the meat you like, and there you go. Yeah, I would say you're talking about the sauces. Pasta, just follow the instructions on the box or the Mm -hmm. bag. That's what you do. All right, so what's next? So you've got some boneless chicken breasts or chicken thighs. You can grill them. You can pan sear them. You can roast them. You know, you mix together a marinade. That's key. That's what's going to make it taste good. Taste the marinade before you add it to the chicken, not after. And you can make it Asian. As I said, garlic, ginger, soy, honey, peppers. You can make it Italian. This is a great recipe that you use with fresh rosemary, garlic, lemon peel, olive oil, and red pepper flakes. I love that. That's one of my favorites. You can make it Mediterranean, same flavors. Or you could say, not going to marinate it. I'm just going to put some salt and pepper on it, dust it with flour, cook it in a pan, and then stick it in the oven and make a little sauce. Like all of these things, pretty simple. Your sauce can be lemon juice, chicken stock, butter, could be wine. Just quick little sauces for chicken, no problem. You can add fresh cherry tomatoes. You could add mushrooms and make a marsala. Like it's, there's a lot of things. You just add a little bit and a little of this and taste it. If it tastes good, there you go. Okay, so we have time for one last suggestion. Where else would you go to freestyle? Vegetables. You can do a lot with roasted vegetables. You can roast sweet potatoes. You can roast squash. All this takes salt, pepper, butter, maybe some maple syrup or yogurt for serving. But you can also roast broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts. You don't really need a recipe for that. You put them in at a very high heat until they're brown and crispy. And then that's it. Fantastic. Well, thank you for coming on the show today and at least acknowledging that you don't need a recipe to cook. I do so acknowledge. (laughs) You're very welcome. Will you come back again next month? Of course. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how to learn from your failures on The Tonic. Fine and Associates are family lawyers who dedicate themselves to dealing with separation and divorce matters every day. They specialize in custody, access, child and spousal support, and division of family property. It's their mission to resolve all issues amicably. But, if necessary, they're prepared to go to court and fight strongly on your behalf. Fine & Associates family lawyers are committed to achieving the results that you deserve to help you move forward with your life. 
If you're going through a separation or divorce, call 416-650-1300 to speak to Lauren Fine for a free initial phone consultation. For more information, visit torontodivorcelaw.com. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Combining over 30 years in the field of self-development, Rod McDonald is the CEO of Certified Coaches Federation, one of the largest coach education companies in the world, and a speaker, coach, and author. For more information on the Certified Coaches Federation, you can visit CertifiedCoachesFederation.com. Welcome back to the show, and uh, I guess a belated Happy New Year. How are things with you? Things are great, Jamie. It's great to be here. I have to make a confession. We're going to talk about something today. You know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses. And for me, for a long time, one of my great weaknesses was how I dealt with failure and my fear of failure. So today we're talking about how to turn those failures into a learning experience. And I think that's a very good thing. So I guess we should start with, you know, the concept of failure and how people look at it. Sounds good. I mean, failure absolutely is something that almost everybody struggles with at some point or another. And hopefully we gain the wisdom over our lives to reframe the way that we see failure, because most people see failure as sort of a a crash and burn never to be recovered from kind of a thing, obviously depending on the situation, but that's, most people view it quite negatively. I think it's an important part of life, right? Like if you haven't failed, you haven't tried. Well, that's that you get the benefit of your years of life experience and work experience to see that. But most people, young people especially, don't see failure that way. I agree. I don't think I had any more failures or any less failures than any other person who led a, you know, a relatively normal professional life. I just think at some point you come to look at those failures differently, right? Like some of them are bigger than others and some of them have more of an emotional impact than others, but you have to do something with them, right? I know how it affected me, but what do you see in your professional capacity? How does failure affect people? As a generalization, you know, working with a lot of coaching clients, both in the sort of life coaching realm, as well as the business coaching realm, you know, without that benefit of life and work experience, people really do suffer from those failures. And as you said, you know, there's no success without failure. And in fact, if you were to go through any kind of a life challenge, if it went smoothly, then you don't really learn that very much from it. But if it goes more rockily and you sort of struggle with it and it's, you know, quite challenging, then you're going to learn something from it. And so the paradigm shift, if you will, the way that we look at it, the paradigm shift can be instead of looking at failure as the end of something, we can see it as the beginning of a new life lesson. And that shifts our thinking and shifts our feelings about it. See, I think failure is a loaded word. You can have a a circumstance that happens to you where perhaps the outcome isn't what you desired or what you intended. Okay. And I guess people would say, oh no, that's a failure, right? Like you tried to do something and it didn't happen the way you wanted it to. Therefore, it's not a success. Therefore, it's a failure. I don't see it that way. I now see it like Okay, there could be all kinds of reasons why it worked or it didn't work, but I think failure should be set aside for when you are aware of the criteria that you have to meet and you keep doing the same things and it keeps resulting in the same lack of success. So in other words, I would say failure comes when you don't succeed and then you don't fix it or you don't recognize your role in what happened and move forward from it. Because I think there's always an opportunity to move forward from what happened until we die, right? Absolutely. And, you know, there's a saying, and I don't remember who it is who said it, but 
something along the lines of failure is only true failure if you quit. If you keep going, it's not really failure because you're making another attempt. You're trying something different. And as long as we are, as you said, you know, alive, as long as we're on the right side of the ground, then we have an opportunity to do something different and to either learn from it or just simply, you know, do something different. In some cases, there isn't much of a lesson to be learned. Usually there is, but we have that opportunity. And too many people squander that. You know, they just look at failure as the end rather than that new beginning. Yeah, I mean, I guess it requires a little bit of introspection, right? Like an event occurs and you can sort of, you can poo-poo it. You can say, well, you know, that didn't work out for me because it was COVID or, you know, the economy went into the tank or that's why my business failed or whatever it is, whether it's professional or, you know, my marriage didn't work because I, you know, I picked the wrong partner. Maybe, but maybe there's an opportunity to sort of look inwards and say, okay, what was my role in that? What could I have done differently? So like, I agree with you. I think it's not only that you need to persevere and keep going, but you kind of have to make sure that if you're going to continue, if you're going to dust yourself off, get up and carry on, you're not doing the same thing because the same thing didn't work the first time. You, you really need to consider why that is, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it certainly, you know, without going into sort of a, a psychoanalysis of it, you know, a lot of this is programmed into us in our early years as children and yeah. in our first, you know, experiences at school and in sports and things like that. And if it's done the wrong way, and it's, it's not usually done on purpose, but if it's done the wrong way where somebody doesn't get the outcome they wanted, and instead of saying that that thing didn't work out, that attempt didn't work out, sometimes the person inadvertently says, you are a failure, right? Yeah. And so yeah. it can become part of someone's identity so that every time, potentially, they don't get the outcome they want, they get that reinforcement that they are a failure rather than the attempt was a failure or the attempt didn't work out the way they wanted. So it's an opportunity that often only comes a little bit later in life when we have the experience and the insights to be able to put it into a new context. And it's a little bit like expecting a toddler to, you know, stop having a temper tantrum. You know, when you're at a certain age, you can't expect you know, to rationalize with emotions because emotions are so much more powerful. So our opportunity is to be patient with ourselves and with the people around us and gently remind them that there's always a lesson to be extracted from even what appears to be the worst failures that we might have, which include things like relationships and job loss and health issues and things like that. Yeah, I talked about introspection, but, you know, sometimes we don't have all the answers ourselves and it's instructive and illustrative to look at people who we consider to be successes. And I think, you know, it isn't necessarily that we mirror their actions, but I think it's important to understand how successful people view failure. Because, you know, they'll, they'll all talk about it, right? Like anybody we consider to be a phenomenal success will readily acknowledge that, you know, not everything has always worked out in their favor. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a, a great practice to look outside of ourselves. Again, that's, it's easier to do when we're older and wiser, harder to do when we're younger and don't have that, that level of life experience. But as you said, having that external reference point, and that can be, in the positive sense, that could be a great teacher a great sport coach. Later in life, it could be a great, you know, work supervisor or a friend. And certainly in the work that I do as a coach, that's part of what we do is that we lend a perspective to the client that they may not be able to see themselves. A little bit like, and and I always use this sport analogy because it's easy to understand, is, you know, the coach 
of, let's say, a basketball team, they're not in the game, right? They're on the sidelines watching, watching the entire thing happen. And so they can call the player back, in this case, the analogy for the coaching client, and say, hey, did you notice this? You know, when the other player, you know, drops their shoulder, it gives you a chance to sort of circle around to to steal the ball or something. Mm -hmm. And the client, in this case, the basketball player, maybe didn't notice that. And so we have an opportunity to provide those insights, those perspectives that, that the client might not otherwise have. And it doesn't always sink in right away because sometimes there's years of programming that exists, but we have that opportunity to give that insight at one time and maybe it's the second time and maybe it's the third time that the, that the client says, oh, yeah, yeah, I can see that now. So it works really well that way. I guess the client has to be open to the idea that somebody else may have some insights on, on what's holding them back, right? Like, I presume you would, right? If you went to a coach, you, you, you must recognize there's something that needs some work, right? Generally speaking, yes. And, and you could say that for any of the, you know, what we sometimes call the helping professions, whether yeah. it's a coach, a personal trainer, a physiotherapist, a counselor or something, is that somebody who seeks out that professional's help is generally open because they're at a point that they're looking for that help. Most people who believe that they can do it all on their own, won't hire a coach and often will have success up to a point and then they'll plateau or stagnate because they don't have any additional perspectives to look at. But learning to learn from your mistakes or failings isn't necessarily an easy task, is it? Well, it's not that it's easy or hard. It's actually just a matter of practice, you know, and it's all relative because, you know, if someone was to say to me, oh, it's easy you know, to learn how to salsa dance. Well, I've taken lessons and I can tell you that it wasn't easy for me. <laughs> I'm just imagining myself do it. I'm, I'm such a yeah. terrible dancer, but go on. Yeah. Well, well for me, maybe we, we would look similar because I look a little bit like Frankenstein uh, trying to do salsa dance. But the truth is that what is easy for one person may be extremely difficult for another, but it doesn't have to be that way forever. And so a little bit of practice, and the practice that I encourage my clients to employ is to hit an imaginary pause button. So when they're experiencing that quote-unquote failure and they're feeling the initial onset of negative emotions, to attempt, because it's not always easy, but to attempt to hit that pause button and ask a question rather than pass judgment. So it's replacing judgment with curiosity and saying, hmm, I wonder what happened. I wonder what I could do differently next time. I wonder what benefit I can get, even though this didn't work out the way that I wanted. And asking those questions can stimulate a higher level of thinking rather than the lower level of thinking, which is automatically, I'm a failure. This is never going to work. I should just quit. Well, that is fantastic advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. My pleasure, Jamie. Next month, what are we going to talk about? We're going to be talking about your beliefs. So, This is to some degree actually tied into failure, but it's the sort of the programming behind who we are and what I call the skeleton keys behind who we are. Fantastic. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss healthy ways to entertain during COVID on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Hi, I'm Jamie Buss, and I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show and podcast, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. 
Tonic's a health and wellness publication distributed with the Globe and Mail to each and every home subscriber in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. And it can be found free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA. You can learn more about Tonic Magazine at tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, check out the new look of Tonic Magazine. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Carolyn Tanner Cohen is the owner and founder of Delicious Dish Cooking School in Toronto. She's been teaching cooking classes for 17 years. She has a science background which edifies your interest in health and fueling the body with foods that will optimize health. Carolyn teaches people how to meal plan, eat healthy, cook with natural whole foods, and organize their kitchen. She teaches new cooks, seasoned cooks, university students who are living on their own for the first time, nannies, housekeepers, and everyone in between. For more information about Carolyn, you can visit deliciousdish.ca. Welcome back to the show. Happy New Year, etc., etc. How are you doing? Hi, Jamie. It's so nice to be here again. How are you? I'm great. Good. I'm doing well. Today, we're going to talk about something like I know you're the hostess with the mostest, and you have all yeah. these amazing ideas on how to get people together. So your great challenge today is to explain how we're going to entertain during COVID. you got to show me. I know you told it's me... It's kind you... of an oxymoron, entertaining during COVID. Yeah. <laughs> because really, are we allowed? Are we supposed to? But there are ways. Yeah. So let's do that. We're not talking about covert breaking rules. We're, we're no, talk... of course not. No, okay. no, no. I'm talking about like staying in the rules and not freezing our butts off. Okay, so sock so, it to us. What are we doing? Yeah, so well, let me just say that what I'm not really doing anymore since January probably yeah. is, you know, sitting in the backyard with a heat, with an electric heater under five layers of blankets and hoping for the best. I'm really not doing that. Thought we would be able to do that all winter, but the reality is it's a pain to shovel the snow. <laughs> Never mind the cold. So I'm not doing that. So what am I doing? Yeah. So I'm actually organizing every month, so not every week, dinner clubs. Yep. Okay? And I'm actually doing it with anybody and everybody who wants to join. Okay, So usually I'm getting about 10 different families or people on and trying to do it on a weekend when it's not so stressful and everybody's working. And the few things that I've been doing is I've been emailing, I seem to be the head of this, mm-hmm. so I've been emailing a grouping of recipes or a menu per se. And we pull recipes from my own stash, but a lot from the internet or recipe books that we like. And we're making a meal. So we've done it two ways, where everybody makes the same meal. Mm -hmm. And then we sit down and talk about our druthers, our problems, our tools, the issues we had, the laughs we had. And we eat together. And that's been working really nicely. People have really liked that because they're, you know, getting new recipes. They're trying new foods. We're trying different themes every week. And it's been really nice to look forward on a Saturday night to getting together with a few laughs. But it's a lot of work. How scalable is it? You said 10 families, but you're not really doing this with 10 families at once, are you? No. So what I'm doing is anybody who wants to come. So let's say there's a group of 10 of us, 10 friends. Usually we're getting about like six or four sometimes, but I'm not cooking for all the people, right? Everybody's cooking on their own. So, So Jamie, like, and I'm not expecting people to make five things. So usually it involves three recipes, you know, a main course, one side dish and a dessert. And then if people want to supplement it with something else, 
then they do it. But what's been really also great is doing a sort of dinner club. So we're all local. But what I was just saying before works very well if you're not all local because you're in different cities or what have you. Mm -hmm. What really works if you're very local is you form a supper club. And I'm sure you've done this pre-COVID where you have a menu. There are as many dishes as people so or families let's say mm-hmm. and each person makes one dish so it usually works better when you have about four people or five people yep. and you make five portions of your one dish and you deliver it yeah we used to do these get-togethers back in the day but like before we had kids where like each couple would be responsible for a course and then we'd get together and do it obviously you can't get together now so it's it's kind of a riff on that right like you're making it's, enough yeah. it's like a virtual potluck is what you're it's describing it's a virtual potluck it's exactly what it is and it's actually been really fun now the issues i'm finding with that one is that you're making a lot of food. Like, normally people aren't scaling their food for that many people. Yeah. Okay, like it could be 20 people. So it works better with a smaller amount of people. Like, it works better if you're couples only or singles only. So not a family of five. Now I'm going to take it a step further, which works even better if you're doing a sort of cocktail party like that, where it's a drink. So maybe you supply different parts and parcels of each drink. And maybe a nibble. So, like, maybe it's one drink, and you don't do the alcohol, but you do the fixings. And then there's three or four different little apps. So, and that's really easy to scale up. Like, if you're making bruschetta for everybody, then, you know, that's not so difficult. You make a big batch of tomatoes, and you buy a few baguettes. So, it's quite easy to distribute, make ahead, and execute that. So, you've done these cocktail hours? I don't do the cocktail parts because that's really not my, even though, you know, I'm hoping to eventually talk about like alcohol and wine and stuff with you. Yeah. But my partner does the cocktails. So, that's really easy and really fun. But so, yeah, we've done that. And there's actually companies uh, locally that will do a virtual cocktail party for you where they actually will deliver a kit. So, if you want to spend the extra money, that's a really fun thing, too. Think of like corporate events, but not for corporate events. So in my cooking school, what we're doing a lot is I'm doing a lot of corporate events where we deliver the food in kits. Mm -hmm. I use a company and we deliver the food. So it's very similar to that. The unique groceries, maybe you spread out something like that. You make it easy for everybody that we could all be on the same page at the same time and have a few laughs and not be so stressful. Well, I think the cocktails and nibbles idea is really a good one, particularly if you have people in the group who aren't necessarily comfortable cooking for others, right? Like it's usually pretty easy to come up with some sort of appetizer. You know, there's a lot less stress. It's more casual. You know, you could even have somebody put together a charcuterie board and distribute and, you know, it's really just assembly as opposed to actually cooking. Right. right? nice to be on virtual with your friends and eating the same food. So two other things that I've been doing a lot, actually. Mm -hmm. So every Friday night, we get together with my family, Mm -hmm. my extended family virtually. And we're all across North America right now. So we get together. We're we're mostly in the same time zone, though. So we get together. And what I've done, I haven't done this every Friday, but what I've done is for many Fridays is I've sent a recipe of my grandmother's. So everybody is making the same one recipe for their larger Friday night dinner that is a family heirloom. That's a great idea. 
So that's been really nice too. And we've been able to think about those that we've lost and the offspring that came from. And it's, it's really nice and it's really nice for the kids. Yeah, I think a sense of family, a sense of nostalgia in times where we're a little unrooted. Yeah, I think that makes makes a lot of sense. It's really fun. Now, the other thing that I'm doing, and this has been happening every Wednesday night, is I have a card game going. Yep. Now, I'm not a poker player, but I do play hearts. It's kind of a mindless game, but I really like it. And um, You're playing for money? No, we're not playing for money. Do you play for money? Well, I play poker for money. I played hearts for money. You know, I have a weekly poker game, but I'd like to hear what you're doing with your hearts game. So I didn't bring this up at the beginning because it's not food related. Okay. But we are getting together and playing. So there's an app on the phone yep. and, you know, it's a card game app yep. and everybody logs on. And then we also go virtually on Zoom. Yep. That's what right? we're doing. Yep. Right. So you could see each other and be playing the same game on your phone. Right. So we use an iPad or a computer for the Zoom part and then our smartphones for the game. And it's really fun. We're four of us. Mm-hmm. And we play every Wednesday, and we have a few laughs. It lasts an hour, and then we move on. And it's really a nice way to get together with the same couple every single week. Yep. Tell me about your poker game. How is that working? Well, for me, it's been working very well because I've won the last three weeks. So I've got a little bit of a war chest going. But you know what? To a person, like this was a group. We used to get together live for years, once a month. And then for whatever reason, it just became more and more difficult to execute. And we didn't do it. And then a friend reached out to me. He had a group and he he knew that I played. And he suggested that we try the virtual game with my group. And to a person, everybody is so ecstatic. Like the break from watching Netflix or their mind-numbing, altering drug slash alcohol of choice just to do something different yes. has been such a bonus for everybody. But we haven't for attached sure. a, a food component to it. You could do it. Like, I don't know how your poker people are, but like if people like to cook, I know you love to cook. Yeah. So it would be like a great thing to sort of say, this is what we're all making and we're going to make one appetizer or we're going to make, I don't know how many people you play with, but we're going to make six and Jamie's going to make this and deliver it and Mark is going to make this and deliver it or whatever it might be. Well, you know, anything that distracts me from winning, I'm not exactly sure about, but (laughs) you know, because if I'm going to cook, I'm going to cook. And if I'm going to play, I'm going to play. But what about if you're not cooking? Like if you still want to do the food thing, but you're not up for cooking. Do you have any suggestions? I'm going to tell you what my parents have been doing. So Saturday night rolls around. My mother doesn't want to cook anymore. What she's been doing with her friends in the beginning, they were being very careful. They were having one couple out side on their patio, but they're not doing that anymore. So what they're doing is they're ordering from the same restaurant and they're doing takeout. And they try new places all the time. It's on the same restaurant and they try takeout. They send each other the menus. They're ordering takeout. They pick it up on their own. So they're not picking it up for their friend, but they're picking it up at the same time. So they actually say hi to each other at the restaurant waiting there also. Yep. But um, And they're bringing it home and they're going on virtual like Zoom or Google Meets or whatever they're doing. And they just have social time. That's what they're doing. And it's very nice because they're trying new places all the time and supporting local businesses. And I would add, you know, if you're going to do that, I've been getting frustrated with the food delivery services. I'm not going to name them, but the premium that's being attached is annoying me and irking me. And I'm trying to pick my restaurants that are executing the takeout better, but will either deliver themselves or I will go and pick it up myself because I'm getting frustrated with the huge premium that's being paid with for some of these delivery services. But that's my own Piccadillo. You know, Jamie, just to, to, to touch on that, since we've been doing this for almost a, a year now, I have yet to use a delivery service. I'm still picking up. Good for you. Yeah, but I'm able to get out of the house, so I'm fortunate. So if you can get out of the house 
and give the money to the local restaurants, that is actually definitely ideal. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're so welcome. What are we going to talk about next month? I think we should talk about wine and cooking with wine because there's a big sort of like mystery about that. Great. Looking forward to it. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Gordon Chang, Naomi Bussin, Rod McDonald, and Carolyn Tanner Cohen. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us on The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. The January-February issue is now available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to every single home subscriber in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit us on our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you know you can always email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss developing treatments for non-alcoholic stereohepatitis and setting mindful intentions. Until then, this is Jamie Bussin wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.